Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to another edition of Sound of Spurs podcast. My name is Bill Shoning, longtime radio voice of the Spurs. How can we possibly do the Sound of Spurs podcast without having number 32 in your program, number one in your heart on the show? <laughs> that, of course, is Sean Elliott, the author of the Memorial Day Miracle. Uh, great to have you. This is fun. It's about time. You've been ignoring me all year. My feelings are actually getting hurt. Are they really? Well, we yeah. wanted to make sure we got Antonio Daniels before you. Yeah, yeah. Because when we think of great color analysts around the league, you know, <laughs> you're out there. Everybody you're, else. Not, you're not as high as AD. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. no, not even close. I don't even know where to start, Sean. Uh, but let's start at the beginning. Tucson, Arizona. Uh, when did your passion for basketball really start? Oh, wow. Well, I had, I had a passion for all sports. That, that was my biggest thing. I played baseball, was a soccer player, ran track. Uh, played basketball and I kind of dabbled in basketball for a while until I got to uh, about uh, my freshman year in high school and so that's when I really started to focus on basketball more than anything gave up track gave up baseball uh, just really enjoyed uh, being in the gym and uh, and, just, and just playing the game, and that's when I really got the bug. Did you have a growth spurt at that time? No, it was, I was pretty solid throughout high school. So I started high school about 5'11", and just grew about two inches every year until I was about 6'7", almost 6'8", at the end of my senior year. When did you realize, hey, I've got a chance to get a scholarship at a good school if I keep this up? Uh, I think about the time, maybe the end of my sophomore year, where I really improved that year. Uh, I wasn't a guy who played you know, varsity all four years like so many of these other young guys now. So I got promoted to varsity at the end of my sophomore year. And I said, hey, you know, that's a pretty big deal. That was a big deal back then. And then when I started off next year as a, as a junior, at the end of that season, I, made the, I was the captain of the All-City team. So at that point, I kind of realized... You know, I had a chance to do something, but you know, Tucson, Arizona, and I always joke about it all the time that Tucson back in the 80s was just where you know scouts went to gas up on their way to LA or Phoenix. No one was coming to Tucson to watch kids play basketball, so I wasn't getting really you know that many letters. I was getting a lot of small schools, I wasn't getting anything from anybody major. And then Lute Olson went to the University of Arizona from the University of Iowa. That was right around the same time, wasn't it? Yeah, that was right around that time. It was uh, the beginning of my junior year. And I remember his first press conference. He said, get your tickets now because they're going to be tough to get. And I said, what is, this, what is this dude talking about? Like, honestly, I went to a game the year before where they were 4-24 and and ended up on the second row from the nosebleeds. And... Uh, there was no when there were two or three hundred people at the game, so I, I couldn't figure out uh, why he said that. But then at the end of the year, sure enough, the place was packed. Wow! And he had a really kind of heart to heart with you, right? He was one of the he wanted you to be one of the guys that helped build the program. 
he had a lot of heart to hearts with me over the years. I, I got to tell you. Um, but at the time, they, you know, they even told me later on. They were like, "Yeah, we knew that you had potential. You were a good player. We just didn't know how good you were going to be." And so it wasn't like I was the savior. I mean, it wasn't like that by any means. Uh, you know. I, happened to make the McDonald's All-American team my senior year, so I think they got a little bit of an inkling and they said, okay, we got a, a good player coming in, but it wasn't like I was one of these, now these five-star recruits and this guy's just going to come in and save the program. But your college career is amazing. One of the great things I've enjoyed about doing this show is visiting with guys, doing a little research on them. Even though you and I are friends, I still don't know everything about you. And I didn't realize that during your college career, you broke Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Luel Cinder's record yeah. in scoring in the Pac-10. So yeah. to, to defeat any kind of record held by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, and to surpass that, that must have been a really special moment for you. It was great. You know, you, you got to remember, though, Kareem only got to play three years because he was he couldn't play as a freshman when he came in. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, you're passing Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, you know, one of the greatest that ever played the game. So I don't care if he did it in half a season. <laughs> and I did it in four. I was still, you know, thrilled to be able to uh, surpass his record. Right. Well, you know, and then, of course, you have this great career, and everybody looks like, okay, this guy's going to be a top-five pick. When did you have an inkling that the San Antonio Spurs were interested in you and you may end up in the Alamo City? Uh, when they called my name on drafting. <laughs> I talked to every other team around the Spurs but the Spurs and uh, had no idea. Matter of fact, when San Antonio came up, Miami was fourth. Uh, I had gone and visited Miami. They told me that if I was there, they were going to take me and they were going to pay me the number one money. So I was like, all right, I'm ready to go to Miami. And sure enough, San Antonio calls my name. Didn't know the coach, didn't know the owner, uh, didn't know the general manager. Uh, you know, but the Spurs, for years, had been my team, but I didn't know anything about them at that point. But it was very good that you got to go to a warm weather city, because for those of us that travel with you over the last 22 years, we know that you do not like the cold. Has that been a lifelong thing, or was that just after you started traveling a while, you realized, I do not like cold weather? No, I grew up in Tucson. Right. I mean, I, when I try to explain to people, I mean, my winters were 70 degrees, 75. I mean, that was wintertime for me. It got to 40 degrees in Tucson. People were losing their minds. The city was ready to shut down. And so, you know, winter's at 75. Uh, summers, I was playing outside lots of times. Would it be 110, 112 degrees outside? So, you know, like I tell my friends, I'm a lizard. I love the heat. Uh, you know, being out where it's cold and windy, not my cup of tea, probably. Well, you know what? You end up in San Antonio, and uh, another guy comes along, David Robinson, at the same time. Right. What was it like to go in with him, especially with the anticipation? Not that people weren't very happy to have Sean Elliott uh, come to the Spurs, but they've been waiting for two years on the number one pick. So how did that dynamic work? Well, it worked out well because uh, Dave and I knew each other from uh, the USA team in 1986, the last amateur team, by the way, to win a gold medal. Uh, we were both on that team, so we became friends then, and then we uh, had spent some time together uh, on the uh, during the Olympic trials, about six or eight weeks together. So I was really familiar with David; he knew me, and uh, it was a you know for us we, we got along splendidly. I mean, there was uh, no issues, and we really enjoyed being around each other. And 
uh, you know, I just thought it was a terrific opportunity for me to be able to play with Part of the biggest turnaround at that point in NBA history in terms of right. a team that struggled to a team uh, that was a playoff team. Uh, did you feel the excitement that rookie year in that, you know, the fans are going from a team that wasn't very good to a team that was contending? Uh, you could feel it. You could yeah. feel the excitement. You know, obviously I didn't know anything about the year before uh, and the record. Uh, but when I when I got there, Dave got there, I, you know, they made a trade that got Terry Cummings. Uh, I thought uh, we were loaded. I mean, we had Willie Anderson was a great player. We made another trade to get Rod Strickland. Uh, and uh, we started off with Mo Cheeks, who I grew up watching right. Mo Cheeks. I mean, I was a Sixers fan. I was a diehard Sixers fan, so Mo Cheeks was like my guy. You played with and, Mo Cheeks? Yeah, and and, uh, and Caldwell Jones, <laughs> by the way. So that, t- that tells you something. We don't know how old Caldwell was when he was playing, right? Uh, I mean, who knows? <laughs> well, Caldwell did a rep from Albany State, by the way. Yeah, he was around for a long time. You had some vets, obviously, but uh, you know, that, that young influx of you and David really kind of changed, changed things. And that was at the Hemisphere Arena. Yeah. That seems like another world ago, doesn't it? I mean, that was a long time. Uh, it really was, and what a great place. I mean, I uh, I love the atmosphere at the AT&T Center when that place gets rocking. But I think the old-timers know what the hemisphere is like. Uh, I've, I've been involved with some of the loudest games. We had an exhibition game there one season, and we were down 22 to the Dallas Mavericks, and we came back to win the game. You would have thought that we were in the NBA Finals. That's how loud it was. The place was going absolutely nuts. Now, did players and other teams complain about the baseline bums to you? Because we've had a couple of Spurs uh, throughout the years or throughout the uh, podcast here that said, you know what? Uh, uh, in fact, I think it was James Silas said, Julius Irving really didn't like coming to San Antonio because <laughs> of the baseline bums. Well, you got to remember, those were the days where uh, people that the hecklers could be right there on the sidelines or, you know, one or two rows up, and they had a whole section right there. And uh, they just harassed people, and they got in everybody's heads. And so that was a great thing. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't familiar with the baseline bums uh, until I got to San Antonio. didn't know anything about them. And then, you know, you come out, and you're playing the game, and you're like, what are those people in that section doing over there? They're going crazy. Uh, but it, that's a, you know, that's a tremendous advantage for us at the time because uh, you get people uh, kind of out of sorts. You know, you say Julius Irving didn't like playing there. Well, he's running up and down the court and they're yelling at him. That, that's in his head a little bit, and it's in everybody's head. He comes in there, and he takes him out of their game a little bit. And that's one of the unique things about San Antonio and the love affair the, the city has with the Spurs is that it is the biggest thing in town, and that has happened for now 50 years, Sean. And it's amazing because all year long we've been talking about this and this big celebration, uh, but uh, everyone from around the league, and you've seen the docuseries that Mike Icarillo, our director of broadcasting, has put together. Uh, it's not just the Spurs celebrating. There are people around the league that really uh, – admire what has happened in San Antonio over the last 50 years? Well, I, I think with good reason. Uh, you know, you, you look at the entire history with uh, Red McCombs and Angelo Drosis and uh, the way they took a huge risk, uh, financial risk, to bring that team to San Antonio. And then, you know, they had to run it on pretty much like the shoestring budget because it's a small market. Uh, you're not the Lakers or the Celtics or the Bulls or some of these other teams that are printing money in the basement. You know, we that team had to, you know, kind of run really on the margins. So uh, they did a phenomenal job. Uh, they did a great job growing the business, uh, uh, assembling, you know, good talent. And then to have Pop and RC come in in the mid-90s and take that over and then 
elevated to the next level uh, was really something. I mean, it, I, I think it's something that you're not going to see again in professional sports. And you got to go through all that, those growing pains early, uh, you know, the, the struggles, the getting close in the playoffs, not getting over the hump. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and all that frustration leads up to the 99 season. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, and that's what made it the 99 season so special because, uh, you know, we should have gone to the finals in 89-90. Uh, when we lost to the Portland Trailblazers in Game 7 in overtime, should have won that series. Uh, should have 94-95 against the Houston Rockets. We beat them uh, four out of five times in the regular season and beat them in the preseason. So we beat them five out of six before uh, meeting them in the playoffs. We had their number. We lost that series. The next year, we had the best record in the league again. Lost here uh, in Utah in six. And so we continue to tease our fans throughout the years. You know, we have the best record in the league. We have a lot of potential. Oh, we fail in the playoffs. We don't get over the hump. So in 99, it was our time. And I think all the players on that team sensed it. And you were injured a little bit, weren't you, during that 97, 98 season? Uh, right. You, you didn't have a fully healthy year. So right. you feel better going into that 99 season health-wise? Yeah, well, I missed the, the second half of both those seasons. Well, having knee surgery on one, knee surgery on the other. Pretty much... I kind of like what Devin Vassell had, you know, but they just had to go in there and clean uh, my knees out uh, each one each season. And so uh, going into that 98-99 season, uh, I had rehabbed a ton, a ton. And uh, I remember one game in Houston, I made a backdoor cut and Avery passed to the ball, and I just exploded and dunked. And when I got to the bench, he said, I don't know what you've been doing, but your legs look amazing. And I said, yeah. They feel good. They feel good. So I felt good, and I felt like I was ready uh, you know, for that stretch. That was before I got here, but I, I admired that team from afar because you had all these different characters, uh, like the toughness of Mario Eli, uh, the leadership of the little general, uh, the athleticism of David Robinson, the smoothness of Sean Elliott. So all these different uh, things came into place for a championship team. And did you feel when you finally got going, I know you got a slow start that season, but once you got it going, you guys were with 37-13 and 13 in a 50-game season. Yeah, we started off 6-8, and eight, right? Yeah. So we didn't lose very many after that. But I can't tell you that about midway through that season, we all knew something special was happening. We were playing good basketball. We had two of the best players in the league, maybe the best overall in Timmy Duncan. And, uh, we knew that if we just stayed together, we had a great chance to really do something. Meet Self. We're the app that helps you build credit and build savings so you can build the life you've been dreaming about. With Self, you can build positive payment history, build your credit score, and get your savings back in the end, minus interest and fees. No credit score necessary to get started. Build stability, build swagger, build your financial freedom. You've got goals. We've got your back while you build your future. Build credit, build savings, build dreams. Download the Self app today. Credit builder accounts made by Lead Bank, South State, and Sunrise Banks NA. Members FDIC and equal housing lenders. Results vary. Details at Self Inc. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans. The chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, 
I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Sean, before we wrap it up, you know, I ask everybody that comes and does this program, the legacy of this organization uh, through the 50 years, going all the way back to the ABA, which, of course, is an important part of the legacy of the organization. But as you go around the league and you talk to people about the Spurs, the impact the Spurs have had, you know, tonight we're in Utah. Will Hardy is the head coach of the Utah Jazz. We see the Popovich tree all over the place. What about your thoughts on the uh, legacy of the Spurs? Uh, well, I don't have to really talk about it. People ask me about the legacy of the Spurs because they're impressed with uh, what our guys have done over the years. Uh, you know, just a classy organization that's committed uh, to their players and committed to the community and, more importantly, just committed to uh, a family-type environment. And so uh, you, you can't say enough about what these guys have done with the organization, and I can't believe that I've been a part of this. Thanks very much for your time. We appreciate yes, it. Thanks for the recollections. Sean Elliott, Sound of Spurs podcast, presented by Self Financial. I'm Bill Schoening. So long, everybody. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.